You have a blank sheet of paper. This is going to be a test. Good. Right there. All the answers are what? Jesus. <laughs> no, we had a, we've been having some complications with our electronics and, you know, I don't know how Jesus did it, to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't know how Paul did it, all the disciples. <laughs> but what we're going to do today is I'm going to give you some of what the outline and uh, some other stuff as well, some other information that I want to give you. Um, and, and I'm just, we're going to put it up there and you can write it down. Next week, I'll make sure that I have the outlines and the handouts for you. There's two things that I wanted to give you today. One was the handout that, uh, that is, is supposed to be on that blank page. And uh, on that handout, it'll give you some information, like what we did the first time when we first started in the book of Colossians. Now, and, and on, this hand, on this handout here, just go ahead and fill it out, and I'll give, it to you. I'll give you the answers next. I'll give you the whole sheet next week, and you'll have it with you. So don't worry if you don't catch it all right now. But I do want you to know this, because as we go through the book of Colossians, we have to understand what Paul is dealing with and what he's talking about. Because in this portion of, of, of chapter 2, he's answering some questions that uh, we don't have. He's, answering, he's got some answers to some of the questions that we don't know exactly what those questions are. He's refuting some of the philosophies and false teachings and traditions and all kinds of things. And so we're not really sure as to who he's talking about or what kind of group he's talking about. Now, when we first started, I gave you two groups that were influencing churches around the, this area where Paul was talking about. One of them was, was Gnosticism. I gave you an outline as to just a brief outline of who Gnosticism, what Gnosticism is, the teaching of Gnosticism. Gnosticism is a higher learning, a higher wisdom. And uh, for, for Gnostics, they believe that everything that you can see and touch, all that, all the, it's called matter. All that matter, it didn't matter because it's all evil anyways. When God, the creator, started to create things, what he did is he sent out emanations or these pulses of energy down into all of creation. And out of those pulses of energy, these emanations that God sent down, one of them created the world. And it was an evil uh, emanation because the world is evil. And all these evil emanations, some that are demons, and then there's good emanations that some are angels. And out of those emanations that are good, Jesus Christ was one of them. One of these emanations, these pulses of energy that God would send down. And so when Jesus was on the planet, they recognized Jesus as a very good emanation of God. And he was so spiritual that uh, it was said of these Gnostics that Jesus wouldn't even walk on the planet. Actually, he glided. He floated. You can see this aura around him. And we have paintings of these halos that are around some of these emanations of who Jesus Christ was supposed to be. But we, we talked about that, that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, that he is the very image. And, and, and as I mentioned, I've been talking to you about this for some time. What I've been sharing with you in these last few couple of years, mainly, is what we call um, Christology. Christology basically is teaching you who Jesus Christ is, the study of Christ. Christ is God. And Christ is divine, and also Christ is all you need. We call that the divinity of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. Now, I've not used those terms except for just recently to kind of give you the idea of where all this is coming from. Because what I want you to know, most importantly, I want you to know Christology, yes. But most importantly, above all that, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is God. Can somebody say amen on that? He's God. He's God in the flesh. That's who he is. And Jesus Christ is all you need. He's sufficient. And as we've been going through these studies, Paul is addressing these things in these churches, especially uh, in Ephesus and in Galatia, uh, the, the region of Galatia. He was dealing with that. Galatia, he was very adamant. He, he was very strong and forthworth as to what uh, he was trying to say to the people there because they were following this gospel. And Paul says, I, I can't believe. He just unleashes on them right away. It's the only letter that Paul wrote that didn't give them a commendation. I'm glad to hear you're doing this. I'm glad you're, you're doing. No, he just unloaded on them right away. I cannot believe you guys are following this other gospel, which really is not, there is no other gospel. There is no other gospel. Even if an angel or some, uh, 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 again, an emanation or anything were to come to you and give, if it was one of us, an apostle, let that person be cursed. And Paul just unloads on them because Paul is so, he's so, uh, the, the Christology, uh, the, who Jesus Christ is, the divinity of Christ was so dear to him. Now you got to remember that Paul comes from a background of a zealous Jew. 
And the zealous Jew, a Pharisee, his, his whole mindset was there's only one God. They, they, they quoted the Shema every day. Shema Israel Adonai Alacheinu Adonai Ahad, and there's no more. Uh, I'm sure you understand what that meant, right? Okay, let me, re- <laughs> let me translate. The Lord, our God, hero Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And that's it. And so for the Jewish person to hear that now Jesus Christ is God, uh, no, that doesn't, that doesn't fly right. And Paul was very adamant. He was very zealous on getting rid of this sect. Getting rid of these people that said, no, there's Jesus Christ now who is God. And he left his Holy Spirit who is God. And Paul, is, it's, he can't understand this. And this is why Jesus had to knock him down, blind him, and he had to be reminded of all the scriptures that talked about the Messiah, of all the scriptures of where they talked about the Holy Spirit and how they were all three in one. As a matter of fact, Elohim, the Hebrew word for God, Elohim is plural. Let us create God. Let us create man in our image is what the, 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 the account of Genesis says. Who is he talking about us? And so as Paul goes back into his Old Testament theology, he starts, to, he starts to be able to put this all together. And as he puts it all together and he comes out with the equation, he says, God is three and Jesus Christ is God and he's divine. And so now he's preaching this gospel of the divinity of Jesus Christ. And because it was so close to his heart, it needs to be close to our heart. And because we have the letters to show us that this is what Paul was teaching us and teaching them, we also have to look at them. The problem is, is that we've, we've muddied that field in so many different ideas and philosophies and visions and dreams and, and emanations and thoughts and angels and demons and, and so many other things that it's kind of hard to put it all back together. And so what I'm going to do today, which, which I was going to do in the first place anyways, I'm just going to give you a review of what Colossians chapter 2 says, and then we're going to take it piece by piece. So this was always going to be part one, and uh, it kind of worked out that way because you know, we, we weren't able to give you all the information in writing. But I'm going to try to give you all the information as best I could as, so that you can follow along. Because what Paul was dealing here with was this heresy, this false doctrine. And we started off last week by saying this is how we become a healthy church, and we want to be a healthy church. You know, we want to be, we, we want to be a, a faithful church more than anything else. We want to be faithful. And, and because we're faithful, we will be healthy. And last week when we talked about Colossians chapter 2, I said to you that th- these are the marks of a, uh, of a faithful church. In chapter 2, verse 2, I says that it says here that their hearts may be encouraged. The, a, a church, a faithful church is a church of courageous hearts. A church is a church uh, united in love. A faithful church is a church that is filled with wisdom and knowledge. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be. As a matter of fact, most of these uh, disciples, all of them were, 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 you know, just blue-collar workers. They were fishermen. They were farmers. They were, you know, only just a few, if any, were actual theologians or, or thoughtful people um, to be a faithful church we want to be the church the ability to resist false teaching we talked about that last week in verse 4 if you look at verse 4 in Colossians chapter 2 he says I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments and and Paul has always been talking about being deluded he tells Timothy be careful with those uh, people that are preaching doctrines of demons and again, in Galatians, he, in the people to the Galatians, he says to them, he says, I, I don't want you to be hearing or listening to any other gospel. There is no other gospel. We talked about this last week, that a, a, a faithful church has to have a soldier's discipline. In other words, we need to stand in order. We have to have give good order and firmness and stand in what we believe. And it's hard to stand in what you believe if we don't know what the Bible teaches. So I, I'm trying to take as much time and, and the ability to be able to show you this is what the Bible teaches. And, and for, for bank tellers, and I've said this before, the way they used to train bank tellers on how to spot a counterfeit is not to follow all the counterfeits, not to examine all the different types of counterfeits out there because there's so many of them. But what they are trained to do is to focus on the $100 bill, the weight, the size, the smell, the, the, everything, how it feels, how it looks in the light, everything. They're, they're trained to look at the authentic, genuine piece that they are looking for and they are looking at. And so when anything else comes in, it, it should, your ears just pop up. Okay, wait a minute. That, that just doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound right because according to the, what the Bible teaches, 
according to what the Bible teaches, number one, God is divine. Jesus Christ is divine. He is God. And number two, Jesus is all we need. I don't need anything else. And so we need to be disciplined in that sense. Last week I mentioned that we need to stand firm walking in Christ. Once again, in Christ, we need to be rooted and built up in faith. And we need to have an attitude of gratitude throughout the whole process of it. Because with an attitude of gratitude, you're able to understand, you know what? Jesus Christ, he loved me enough to die on the cross for me. And I am grateful for that. And I thank him, always thanking him, abounding in thanksgiving. And so those are the verses that we read last week from verses 1 through 7. But let me read to you the rest of them today. And, uh, and then we'll go back and we'll just kind of go through these verse by verse or section by section, actually. We're not going to do the verse by verse today, but we're going to go section by section. And uh, we're going to go through verses 8 and 19. If you have your Bibles open, you don't have outlines with the verses on them, so you'll need to follow along in your Bible. And here it says, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental 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 spirits of the world and not according to Christ for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority in him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or to a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up with reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. Father in heaven, there's so much here to be able to just to go through and it's at, and reading it all at the same, at the same time and trying to grasp what Paul is trying to say here it is overwhelming. And unless we understand who he's talking about or what he's talking about, it's difficult to put this together. So I pray, Father, within the next few weeks that as we go through this section, step by step, piece by piece, that we can arrange uh, a theology in our mind and understand the significance that the sufficiency of Christ and the divinity of your Son and our Lord, our Savior, the Messiah, is God. Not only is he enough, but we know that he, he is who you said he was. You, you came down. You became flesh. You dwelt among us. And we beheld your glory in the form of Jesus Christ. And it is a hard concept, a hard doctrine for some to understand. But Lord, we accept it by faith. And we recognize your presence in the power of the Holy Spirit, even here now. So Father, as you lead us, Holy Spirit, as you teach us, Help us to stand firm, as we said earlier, to walk in Christ, to be disciplined as soldiers, to be able to not be led by uh, wisdom and, and other philosophies of this world, that we are built up and rooted in the faith that you give us. So, Father, lead us this morning in all things, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You don't have to forgive me. I'm still, I don't know what's going on with me. But I had this cough about a week ago, and its lingering effects has made my throat very sore, so I'll have to pause for a moment. As a matter of fact, yesterday when we were here for a, a funeral, um, I didn't think I was going to make it through. <laughs> but God just kind of picked me back up. I thought I lost my voice there for a while, but the Lord brought it back. Amen? So let's go, let's go back to Colossians chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 7. We've already kind of covered verse, uh, verses 1 and on. Uh, through through seven, we'll start at verse eight. I mean, 
Paul says right off the top, see to it. Well, you know, before I do that, you, you know, from the dawn of beginning history, we've always tried to find out, okay, why are we here? Why do I exist? Why am I here? That has always been man's question. And there were people that stood around and sat around for days on end just contemplating that question. Why am I here? And they were known as philosophers of that time. And, and they, well, they wanted to understand the universe. And they wanted to understand everything around them. And today we have universities filled with classes called philosophy. And a philosophy basically is philo, which is love. And philosophy, you know, uh, Sophia is wisdom. It's the love of wisdom. And what happens with, in philosophy or the love of wisdom, a lot of people are so in love with the wisdom that they can acquire of this world that they try to start and to make sense of everything from a man-centered perspective. And you cannot come to a divine understanding of who God is from an uh, from, from a, a, a anthropocentric or a man-centered philosophy. You cannot start from, from inside of me to try to figure out who God is. It is a God-centered universe. It is a, it is a theocentric uh, philosophy. It is a theocentric religion. It is theocentric in everything. God is at the center of it. We need to start with God. And it's unfortunate as you listen to, or I don't know if you ever heard or talked to people that are, that are philosophers, they try to bring it all in from, it's frustrating to, to try to bring it all in from all kinds of different walks of life. And, and after about an, an hour or two of their philosophizing, I, you know, I always start the question, but then they ask me, so what do you think? And I always ask them, well, let me ask you something. Have you ever been wrong? Go, well, yeah, sure. I'm, I, I'm sure I've been wrong. Do you think maybe you can be wrong about this? Oh, no, I'm not about this. I've spent my whole career understanding what philosophy is. Well, you know, I can tell you what the Bible says. You know, but I, I can't argue with the philosophy or the, the sciences or the lives of, of this world. And, and, but this is what these people did. And, and they sat there and they thought. And, and Paul is arguing with them. As a matter of fact, that's the first thing. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. And he called it empty deceit. Empty deceit. The hours and the time and the the. I, well, back then they didn't have the schools as we do today, but the, the degrees and, and, every, the, and the money that it takes to learn this stuff, Paul says it's empty. It's deceitful. It, it takes you nowhere. It leads you nowhere. You end up nowhere. You still end up with yourself and not with God. And so philosophy has been something that has been going on for a long time. Uh, Greek thinkers have been doing this for, for ages, and, and, and they've been trying to find out, okay, why am I here? Why, what's going on here? But man cannot begin with himself and arrive at an ultimate reality of who God is. And, and so what, what we want to do is we want to look at, okay, what is Paul trying to tell us? What is he, what is he leading us to? How is he uh, directing us through all of this that we're going through? And, and so as we, as we go through this portion of Scripture, hold on here. As we go through this portion of scripture, we want to start off with, with first of all, looking at everything that, that, um, everything that, that, um, that, that Paul is trying to put together in this, in this whole portion of scripture. Like I said, it's, it's kind of disjointed, uh, and, and it's kind of, um, it's kind of hard to see. It's kind of hard to put together, and unless we kind of go through it is what I'm saying, and, and uh, where is that? Did we do this one? And so, here, here, let's just go through this very quickly. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceits, according to the human traditions, according to the elemental, elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. The very first thing that Paul's talking to us about, and this is number one in your outlines. You can actually put this, put this down because we, we don't know who he's talking to. We don't know what he, you know, the, the group or the people. And, and every time that you look at and you see Scripture, And every time you see the Bible, especially the, the epistles, uh, you, you'll look at some of the things that, that Paul is dealing with. And, and you, can pretty much, you can pretty much guess and you can pretty much say this was an issue. Because Paul will always start off by saying now about marriage or now about this situation. Somebody has come to him and said this is what's going on. Remember, Paul's in prison. He's not ever not met most of these people. He hasn't met people in the other two cities that he's talking to. He's not met any of these people. So somebody came to him and says, look, there's this philosophy going around, and they're talking to us about it. And in verse 8, and this is your first fill out, they, they wanted to teach people another philosophy, or they wanted to teach people, introduce people, uh, introduce a new philosophy. That's what they wanted to do. They wanted to introduce a new philosophy. 
And as they saw it, the simple truth preached by Jesus and preserved in the gospel was not enough. As they looked at it, they thought, okay, this is good to know. But you have to have this higher learning. You see, you have to understand that in order to get to God, that God has got to get to you. You have to have these, these ideas, these visions, these, this, this ingenuity, this understanding. And so philosophy became part of the church in a sense where it was needed because, yes, Christ died on the cross. But if you don't understand about what God is doing and who he is, and so they, and they would build these elaborate systems of philosophical thought, which was far too difficult for any ordinary person to understand. And most people would, would say, like, I just give up. And so, therefore, a lot of these intellectuals, they would say, this is just for us. And I'm sorry that you don't understand it, but this is just for us. Beloved, just know this, that the Word of God, it is deep. And I'll never get to the bottom of it. It is so deep, it's, it's so deep that a theologian can, get, get, won't never, will never reach the bottom of this ocean. But it's yet shallow enough for a child to come up and to drink from it. And it is, it is so deep. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was talking to my nine-year-old grandson the other day. And we, we somehow we got on the topic of heaven and hell. And uh, we're talking about, you know, these people that have been passing away in our families. We, we just, uh, we just uh, did a celebration of life yesterday, but also the day before that, for one of his cousins on, on his father's side. And, uh, and so it's, it's very real to them. And, and one of the questions that he asked me he says, Grandpa, do you know anybody that deserves to go to hell? Is there, is there anybody you know? I says, yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I, know, I know at least one person that deserves to go to hell. And he says, well, who is that? And I told him, me. He goes, what? <laughs> he goes, you? I says, yeah, Papa's, I'm, I'm a full man. I'm wicked. I'm sinful. I am. And I, I deserve to go to hell because of the sin. And I explained to him as best as I could, as, as I do for you. You know, when I, when I say a lie, the Bible calls me a liar. When I have an impure thought, the Bible calls, calls me an adulterer. If I've ever misused the Lord's name in vain, which I have, you know, the Bible calls me a blasphemer. Therefore, I'm a lying, adulterous blasphemer. God's not going to let me into heaven. No, I guess he won't. No, that's why Jesus Christ had to die on the cross. Oh, really? He says, yeah. And, and this is how we can make it into heaven. We make it into heaven, not because we're good, but because he's good. Not because of what I've done, it's because of what he's done. And it is so simple theology, and yet it's simple to understand. And the church has just complicated it so much with all this philosophy and all this idea of how things must work and what you have to do. Like number two, they wanted to insert a system of astrology. Now, astrology has played its part in history, but not in Christianity. Now, astrology has played its part in the, in, in the Jewish nation as far as how the, uh, the festivals were held. Because they, they, they didn't have calendars, but every full moon or every, every full moon, and then there was a new moon. The new moon is, is dark and the full moon is, is full. I don't know if you know that or not. But the, the new moon is always the, the start of a, a festival. And this year, I believe the, the uh, Passover is going to be on April the 6th because that's when the full moon starts. And so our Resurrection Sunday will be the Sunday closest to that full moon. But uh, prior to that, we're going to have our Seder Supper as well, the week before, which is Palm Sunday. But, but astrology was, the way God used astrology was to indicate the days and the times. But the way people started to use it was to see their future. Okay, if this is how it's all lining up, and then it comes back again the following year. So therefore, there is a pattern. And if I know on what moon or what sun or what constellation I was born on, I can tell what the future holds for me. And so astrology has become very, well, first of all, it was very uh, complicated, but it was simplified in such a way that people followed it. And they went to these astrologers. They went to these people that, that looked at the stars and other things, and they, they tried to find out what their future was like. Today, we have uh, our horoscope. And people somewhat look at them just to see, yeah, well, you know, I'm just reading it just to be, just because. I just want to tell you, stay away from it. Stay away from it. Because I know that, you know, and I've read it before, and I know, and I know that you read it just to see, okay, like, this is cute. This is, wow, I wonder if that's really true. I wonder if this is going to happen that way. You know, well, let me see. Let me read tomorrow's. And, and by the time you know it, you are caught up in this astrological idea and theology. And Paul say, no, get that out of there. People, they wanted to introduce this, this system. And, uh, and there's, a, there, there's something about this meaning that we're going to look at in verse 8. 
where he says the elemental spirits of the world were the elemental spirits of the universe, especially of the stars and the planets and the message of the false teachers that, that men and women were still under these influences and needed a special knowledge beyond that which Jesus could give to be liberated from the sea. Because Jesus never talked about astrology. So I have to give it to you. I have to tell you what these, this actually means. Yes, Jesus Christ has died on the cross. As a matter of fact, look behind me. I have a, a cross with Jesus on it. See, I, I believe this, and he's still there. And that's why, because he's still there, I need to tell you what these stars mean. And so that's, that was what they were going through with that. Side. Number three, they wanted to impose circumcision. In verse 11, if we read this again, in him also you were circumcised. See, Paul already says, you were circumcised already in him. Now, he's talking to Gentiles. He's talking to people that are not Jewish people. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And, and God had prophesied years ago that he says, I'm going to give you, he tells Ezekiel, Ezekiel 38, I'm going to give you a new heart. And you are going to have a heart circumcised, cleansed, removed, set apart. You're going to be different. Circumcision has always been made to make a, a people that is different than the rest of the world. This was a sign. It was not a salvation part or something that you do to get saved, but it just identified you as part of this group of people. And, Paul, and God says, you know what? When, when the Christ comes, when Messiah is here, you will have a new heart. I will give you a new heart, and you will, you will have a heart that is circumcised, cleansed, set apart just for the honoring of God. This is why Jesus says, you must be born again. Okay? You got to be born again. And, and this, this is probably one of the simplest and clearest indications of how God has caused his elect to be born again. He says, just like, you know, because flesh begets flesh, but spirit begets spirit. In other words, you had no contribution to your birth, to when you were going to be born. You had no contribution as to by whom you were going to be born. You know, where at, what time, anything, how. God just saw this woman and he saw this man and their DNA and, and they put it, he put it together to create you at a very specific time. And you entered into this world. You know, and I can pretty much say with 100% that all of you guys came in that way. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. Anyways, he, you came in 100% by just design. And it was God's design. You're not an accident. You're not an accident. There are no such thing as illegitimate children. There are such things as illegitimate parents. But you were brought into this planet and you were born. And God says to Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And he understood this because he said, how am I going to go back into my mother's womb and come back out? How am I going to do that? Ah, so this is you're not getting it, Nicodemus. And you're the teacher of Israel? He tells him. And you're the teacher of Israel? He takes them back to spirit and water. You must be born of spirit and water. And people make all kinds of ideas and thoughts, and which is which are unbiblical. But he takes them back to Ezekiel 37 on the cleansing of the spirit and the washing of the water. And he's taking them all the way back, things that the Pharisees should have known. When we get to that part, I'll, I'll share a little bit more about that. And so, but, but people wanted to say, okay, yes, you're, you're, you're saved. You know, you're, Jesus Christ died on the cross, you're saved. But in order to be fully saved, you also have to become Jewish. And the only way to become Jewish is you have to get circumcised. Otherwise, you're not saved. This, these are the Judaizers that followed Paul everywhere. Paul, you should know this. Paul, you're, you were a Pharisee. You know that there's no way to become a Jew unless you're circumcised. And, and Paul says, no. He says right there, you've already been, your heart has been circumcised. You've already been dealt with. It's done. As a matter of fact, he has a very, very harsh rebuke in Galatians about these men that are preaching this. And I'll share that with you next week. But they, they were saying that faith is not enough. You know, it, it's not enough. Circumcision, it had to be added. It had to be imposed. It had to be a part. It was a mark in the flesh that was to take place of at least to be an addition to an attitude of the heart. Yeah, okay, maybe your heart is different. Maybe you become a Christian, maybe. But no, no, you're not quite there yet. You have to take on this tradition. Number four, they wanted to incorporate rules and regulations. They wanted to incorporate rules and regulations. 
verse 16 and 17, it says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And if you know anything about the, the, the Jewish diet, the dietary laws, they had dietary laws, and they're still very strict today. You can't eat anything unless it's kosher. Kosher basically means that it has to go through a process, a ceremony uh, you know, of blessing upon the food, upon the items, whatever it is that you're going to eat. Of course, as a Jew, you cannot eat pork. So I'm sorry, guys, carnitas is off the table. So I'm glad I'm not Jewish, right? Somebody say, I'm glad I'm not Jewish. You know, no carnitas. You know, and and for, for the Jewish dietary law, it was very strict. It was so strict that they, they prided themselves in keeping it as best as they could. And you see, they wanted to, to incorporate these rules and regulations about not only the food and the drink, how they would drink their wine. You know, wine was fermented, and, and it, was, it was a new wine, and then there was, of course there was the old wine. There was that wine that everybody drank. It was called glu- glucomy, I think it was, where we got our word glucose. It was very sweet, and uh, they would sweeten it up. And they would water it down and everybody would drink it. But it was more of a juice, a punch, than anything else. To say that Jesus drank wine, okay, he drank out of the new wine. That's what he drank. And then there was that fermented wine, which I'm sure that, I don't know if Jesus drank that or not. But it was all for ceremonial purposes. And Jesus followed the dietary laws. He did. He strictly followed them. And then, after he ascended and he appeared to Peter, and he lays down this sheet of all these different unclean animals, and Peter says, oh, no, I'm not going to eat that, because Peter says he was hungry. And God lays out this sheet with all these animals, and, and God says, kill and eat. Peter says, no way, I'm not going to eat that. I, I can only imagine, maybe a snake, I don't know. And God says, do not call unclean what I have made clean. And this was his... This was his vision that he saw because Peter was being called into a Gentile's home. And to be a Gentile, uh, you, were, you were just the worst person in the world. If, if I was a Jew and you were a Gentile, you were coming down the road, we're coming down this aisle, and, and what I would do, because I'm a Jew, I would come this way. I would literally go around this way just to pass you by. I couldn't be six feet apart from you. You know, it's like they had COVID or something. I, I couldn't be that, that close to you. As a matter of fact, if the wind was blowing... If the wind was blowing that way, I'd have to go this way because I didn't want to get your smell or whatever it was, your cooties, you know, coming to me. And they were so strict on their restrictions and how they did things. And so here you have this church, Coloss. You have this church that is being told Christ is enough. He died on the cross for your sins. However, you also have to eat these certain foods. You have to eat, drink this certain drink. And you cannot eat that stuff. You can't eat that stuff. And, you know, this is what you have to do. And Paul says, don't let people talk to you about that. And the festivals, the new moons, or a Sabbath. You know what? Every day was made for the Lord. And, and, and it, just, it just turned the whole table upside down when worship began of the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, on Sunday. And that question is asked a lot. Why was it changed from the Sabbath to Sunday? If God specifically commanded to keep that day holy. Why? And... Uh, one of the best examples I can give you is that, well, that's the day that he ascended, resurrected. He resurrected on the first day of the week. As a matter of fact, one named Thomas, they call, they call him Doubting Thomas. He says, I, I, I don't believe it. I don't believe that he did. And he says, well, he was here, really. On the very next first day of the week, they're all meeting together. He shows up, Thomas, here, here's my, here's my hands. Put your fingers in my, the holes of my hand. Put your hand on my side. And he says, no, my Lord and my God. He didn't say, my God, it's Jesus. No, that's how some people try to interpret that. No, he literally called him my Lord. And he also called him God. The very next first day of the week, he shows up again. And to over 500 people. The very next first day of the week, I think the fourth, the fourth time is when he ascended into heaven. He appeared again. And so he was on this planet for 40 days. And every time that he appeared, he appeared on the first day of the week. So guess what happened? The disciples started meeting on the first day of the week. Every first day of the week, Jesus is going to show up. Every first day, he's coming back. Every first day of the week. And every first day of the week since, we have been meeting in anticipation of our Lord and Savior coming back. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't um, deal with the commandment of God, keep this day holy, I know, and there's more to it than that. But I, I just want you to know that Paul is telling us right here, don't let anybody you know, look down on you. Don't let anybody disregard you. 
because you don't practice this day or that day. Now, we celebrate Seder, Passover meal. I want you to know that. We do that on the Sunday before Resurrection Sunday. And we celebrate the Seder because it shows us where the Lord's Supper comes from. Once you go through a, a, a Seder, a Passover meal, once you go through that, the Lord's Supper had, takes on a whole different meaning. Jesus Christ didn't just show up and say, okay, guys, go get me some, some bread and some wine and, and let me show you guys something. You know, this is my body. You know, and, and, and when you go through the Seder, you'll see all the, all the elements. It's, it's an orchestrated event. And it's a beautiful event, how it points to the Christ, the, the Passover lamb, how it points to his body, the, the apikomen, the, the body or the bread of affliction, how it points to the third cup, because there's four cups of wine that are drank through the Seder. By the way, you know, don't come expecting wine. We don't use wine. We use grape juice. But it's that third cup that Jesus picked up, and, and when he picked it up, and how he presented it. And you see that it was the cup of affliction. And that's the cup that Jesus Christ was praying about when he says, take this cup from me. He knew he had to suffer that pain of affliction. And here's the interesting thing about this whole Seder ordeal. The Jews had been celebrating it for centuries and they had never understood the full implications until Jesus Christ introduced it to his disciples. And we've lost that throughout the centuries with just a piece of cracker and a cup of juice. And so we, we take the Seder, not because we want to be Jewish, not because we're instructed to celebrate the Passover. It's an instruct, it's a teaching method. I want you to see where the Lord's Supper came from. And if you haven't been to one, I, I pray that you will. It'll be the Sunday before Resurrection Sunday. And beloved, it's coming up quick. We got to start getting ready for it, right, James? Janice? Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> All the old Jewish regulations and more were being brought back. Not only the Jewish regulations, but we'll see. There were some other things being brought back as well. So where are these things coming from? Number five, this group of people, we don't know who they are. We don't know what their name is, you know, what, what group they were. They wanted to include the practice of asceticism. Now, this is a biblical word. Let me show it to you again, verse 18. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of the food and drinks or with regard to the festivals or new moons or the Sabbath. Uh... Oh, I'm sorry, that wasn't 18. Uh, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism uh, and worship of angels. Asceticism, what's asceticism? <coughs> asceticism is the practice of, uh, of severe self-discipline and avoidance of all forms of pleasure. Asceticism sometimes takes on the form of self-mutilation. Uh, uh, you'll see some people that will go to the extreme of carrying a cross taking it all the way to a, a hill and literally being crucified. Asceticism um, is a lifestyle, and, and it tries to be simple and strict, and, and usually because of religious beliefs. Now, there are some people that, that you know, want to hold on to a certain diet. Please, don't get me wrong. Food and drink, you know, that's great. Some people want to be that type of a, a person that holds on to those festivals and the new moons. It's okay. You know, and, and some people want to live a simple lifestyle. You know, and, and they, they want to be self-disciplined and they want to avoid all sorts of pleasures because that's the world. I mean, we're instructed to do so. But to, to say that in order for you to be saved, this is how you have to practice. This is what you must do. And this, this mutilation or mistreatment of the body to prove your allegiance to a religion or a sect or a spiritual being is not what the Bible talks about. Now, we are to be self-disciplined, of course. I shared that with you. you know, be stand firm and, stand, and standing firm. We are to self-discipline ourselves, especially the things of this world. But those are the things you do to prove or to want to get saved. See, the whole idea of what we're talking about is your salvation is dependent upon Christ plus. Christ and. Christ and all these things that are, um, that are to come. Number six, they wanted to inspire the worship of angels. They wanted to inspire the worship of angels. Now, this is a very, um, this is a very difficult part right here for, for me and maybe for some of you as well. Uh, you know, I, I have people tell me all the time they've seen an angel. I have people that tell me that they've talked to an angel. Uh, and it's always a person with wings. Uh, we had a person in our church before that he says, everyone has one angel. <laughs> you know where I'm going with that. Everybody has one angel, and you can tell that he's around by his smell. 
Every person has an angel and he has a very unique smell to you. He says, mine smells like butterscotch. So, so every time, you know, now you think this is funny. And I looked at him and says, brother, where'd you find that in the Bible? Well, it's not in the Bible, but that's how it happened. How can you say that's the way it happens? Show me where it says that in the Bible. Well, everyone has an angel. But where did you get that from? And the bad thing was that he was teaching to some of our members. One guy came up to us and said, hey, I can never tell you that my, my, my angel smells like licorice. Licorice? He goes, yeah, what my angels are, that's what I smell, licorice. <laughs> okay. You know, and, and there's, this, there's this worship of angels. There's this idea that angels are around. I mean, angels are around. Don't get me wrong. Angels are the messengers of God. They, you know, we are, we are instructed to be nice to people because you never know when you are entertaining an angel. But to include angels, these emanations, like once again, these, these, these pulses of energy that form these, these angels, and, and we'll talk more about angelology as we get to that point. But this is, they wanted to inspire that. No, 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 you, you got to look for your angel. You have at least one angel. You have at least three angels, you, have, you know, and, and so on and so forth. I mean, even Billy Graham wrote a book, How to Identify Your Angel. You, you know, again, angels are real. Angels are alive. They're, they're there. They're God's messengers. They're God's helpers. However, their focus was the, the worship. It's Jesus Christ, yeah, yes, but all these other things as well. Not saying that all these things are bad in themselves, but when you put them into that point of becoming more for your salvation. And the last thing I want to share with you right now is that they were involved in extra revelation, including visions. Verse 18 and 19. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by, by his sensual mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. And they were involved in this extra revelation, this extra revelation that included visions, these, these visions that they saw, this revelation that came to them out of nowhere, out of, and out of, oh, I just got a revelation from God. God just revealed something to me that I need to share with you. And if you're not getting revelations, daily downloads from God, then you just cannot be saved. You just don't got it. And, and these people, they were, they were, in involving and including in the worship and as they got up in the church they would say well God revealed something to me today and people would say well how can you argue with that it's like one time God someone came up to me and says you know God told me to tell you so and so I says really he says well I met with him this morning he didn't say nothing to me about that so I, I don't know I don't know where you got that from I, I believe that people are getting some sort of revelation I believe that they're having some sort of encounter and like I've said this before to you before, if it agrees with the Bible, then great. But I, I don't need it because I got the Bible for that. But if it disagrees with the Bible, I'm going to take a step back and say, I don't want it. There, are, there, there were people there that would get these revelations. They would write them down and they would distribute them amongst the churches. And because they looked authentic, you know, they, they, they started to believe these things. And Paul says, you know, that they were making themselves to be above others who did not get these visions or dreams or whatever it was. And, and they were, as he says, puffed up without reason by their sensual mind. They, they, what they were doing is they were, they were holding fast. They, they were not holding fast to the head. Now, this is interesting because Paul doesn't quite identify or clarify that. But when he says the head in capital letters, He's talking about Christ. He's already talked to us about Christ as the head of all things. He's already talked to us that he is the, the head of the body. And then he goes on to say, they are not holding fast to the head, which is Christ, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is only from God. Now, when I, when I brought all these things to you, this is first century stuff. Some of this stuff kind of bleeds into today. And, and you have a lot of people saying, well, I got a new revelation, or I got this, or I got that. You know, a lot of that stuff has been carried on from the very beginning. From the moment that Christ died on the cross, Satan came in and tried to deceive and deceive and deceive. And the best way to deceive people is with the truth and a little bit of a lie. Just drop in a little bit of a you know, false doctrine. 
Yes, Jesus Christ died on the cross. Yes, he suffered and died for you. Yes, you have been saved through Christ. Yes, you have to talk to the angels. And they are the ones that are going to lead you. And boom, there you go. And there you go, really? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, I guess. And this is a sales tactic that a lot of salespeople use. You know, I, I used to be an insurance agent. You love your family, right? Yeah. You don't want them to suffer, and you shake your head. You don't want them to go without you. I used to sell life insurance. Well, you want to be able to provide for them, right? Yeah, of course. And so you want to take this application. You want to sign it, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm shaking my head all along. And, and they would sign it. Boom. I was scandalous of it. I mean, if I, you just understood the stuff I used to do. And, and uh, yeah, and this is what they, they're, oh, they're shaking their head. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you want to make sure, and you want to get, and you want to get this much, right? This is how much you really want to pay, right? Oh, yeah, I really want to pay that. Can I afford that? No, yes, you can. Okay. Oh, wh how could you not afford it? What's going to happen to your family after you're gone? Oh, you're right. I better do it. And, and the deception is so gentle, so sweet. So, I mean, it, it's well-meaning in a sense. But you have to know what you stand upon. And see, Paul was very adamant about this. And he was so adamant about this that every person that he talked to, he talked to them about this and he shared this with them. And it's right here for us to see. And without kind of breaking it down to see what he's talking about, we're just going to fly right through it, which I was thinking about doing anyways. Let me just go ahead and read this and just move on. So I want to get to the juicy stuff, the good stuff. How do I live this out in my life? But I cannot be a good instructor and teacher unless I share with you, okay, this is where it's coming from. This is what it is. And so next week, we're going to come back. We'll break this up a little bit, and, and we'll probably do it for a couple of weeks and, and, and get some steps. Okay, how can I do this? One of the best steps to do, number one, is just to get to know your Bible. Okay? You know, I got a new revelation for you. You do? Well, I understand that the revelation is closed. I understand that all the revelation I need is right here. I understand that God's revelation has already been given to us. Oh, no, but God spoke to me. Well, God speaks to me every time I open the word. He speaks to me right here. Yeah, but you know, he's giving me some extra revelation, but there is no extra revelation. How can you say that? You, you know, instead of, instead of getting into a, an argument, just no, no, no. <laughs> you know, and, and you've got to listen to what I have to say. Why well, talk to God this morning and he didn't say nothing to me? Get into your word. Another thing too is get into a Bible study. We've got an, a Bible study going on this, this year. We just started. This is going to be our second session. Okay, uh, and the information is in your bulletin. We're going to start some more. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to amp it up a little bit more because you need to know this. And we're going to start from the basics on up. Membership classes, of course. What baptism means. How can we do the Lord's Supper? How to start reading your Bible? You know, tips and ideas to do. You, you know, but but start doing something. Attendance at church, I mean, is important. Yes, but it's not the only thing. You, you should be here to get this information. And, and if you miss out on a Sunday, you know, the good thing is that we have it recorded and we have outlines that we can always go back and you can always ask questions. What did you mean by this? Like, for instance, the last time we, when we first started this, I gave you a, a handout on Gnostic philosophy and Jewish traditions. Kind of give you a, you know, a heads up. Today, I was going to give you this, another outline just like this, talk to you about what Paul is dealing with in these seven steps. And by the way, this is not something that I came up with. I got this information from... Um, commentator named William Barclay, you know, which kind of broke it down for me. I added a couple things on there that, that I believe that should have been on there, but that's, I mean, it's neither here or there, but, but, uh, and I kind of simplified it a little bit so we can understand it a little bit more, but you're going to get it next week. You'll have it. It's not unique. It's people see this all the time. The problem is, is that unless you, unless you are diving into God's word on a regular basis, you won't see these things. And like when we first read it, we just kind of like, okay, but now I pray that it brings a little bit of light to you. You see, because Jesus Christ is divine. He is God. He wasn't just an emanation. He wasn't just a good prophet. He wasn't just a good teacher. Pastor, I don't need all that doctrine. Really? Yeah, I just want Jesus. Just give me Jesus. Well, which Jesus are you talking about? Well, well the, the Jesus of the Bible. But which Bible? Tell me. Well, you know, the Holy Bible. Well, I'm going to tell you something right now. That the Mormons, they have a Bible. And they believe that Jesus and Satan are, God, are, are brothers. Do you believe that? Oh, no, of course not. Well, that's one Jesus. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they, they have a Bible as well. And they believe that Jesus was a good teacher. And that's it. He's not God. Well, I don't believe that either. You know, and if you go to the Muslim Bible, they'll tell you that, that Jesus was a prophet, just like Muhammad. But Muhammad is God's prophet. And Jesus was just another prophet. He's just a good man. Okay, so which Bible? Well, can you teach me some doctrine then? It always comes back to that. You need to know your doctrine. Paul takes a good, a good time in explaining it. 
So I think we need to take some time in understanding it. Amen? You with me? Come on, let's stand. You got 10 minutes? I'm sorry, brother. I'm out of, I'm out of breath. <laughs> I'm done. I'm going to start losing everything I got here. But thank you for keeping me on track, man. <laughs> All right. I'm going to stay right here. <laughs> Father, we thank you, Lord. <laughs> we thank you for the, the wisdom that you have bestowed upon <clears throat> our brother, our friend, our theologian, Paul, who was Saul from the very beginning. Lord, you, you picked him at just the right time. He was an enemy of the cross. Oh, he hated the Christians, and therefore he hated Christ. And there was nothing that he was going to do for Christianity in the world. And you intervened. You brought him to his knees. And you brought all that learning and intellect that he had, and you focused it on who your son Jesus Christ is, which is you. We have come to believe, and we hold on to the fact that Jesus Christ is divine, that he is God the Father, God Holy Spirit. He is God the Son. And we thank you, Father, for showing us that. Help us to remember that and hold on to that. And we also know that God is, that Jesus Christ is sufficient. He is all we need. And because He is all we need, we don't have to add all these other practices and ideas and thoughts. But Lord, we come on the first day of the week to worship, not because we have to, to give you honor and glory, to glorify you. We celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper, not because we have to, not because we, we want to be saved, but because we want to glorify you and bring glory to you. We get baptized, Father, not because we must in order to be saved. We get baptized to bring glory to you for what you've done in our life so that others can see and, and that we can identify with the body, which is the head. That is being nourished through every ligament and bone. Father, the things that we do, the, the gifts that we give on a weekly basis from our, uh, from our abilities and from all the, the, the treasures that we have and we give on a weekly basis, not because we must, we do, so, we do so to glorify you. And that's why we do the things we do. There is a, an element of works in our life that reflect our thanksgiving of what you've done for us. And Lord, I pray that we can understand this from the, from the very beginning, that you are all we need, Lord Jesus. And I thank you for this time that you give us. Give us direction, as always, through your word. Keep us close, keep us together. Father, just lead us this day from this place, but never from your presence, I pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen and amen. All right, hang around. Let's take it off for a moment.